A special shout out to Chris Bathke, Charles, and Nick Proctor for becoming the newest members of Team Southpaw on Patreon. Your names will forever be etched into the halls of Valhalla. This is Sam. This is Yasmin. And this is Southpaw. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies, and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you will help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Today on Southpaw, we have Yasmin, a trainer from the Haymaker Gym in Chicago. It's a gym that I, along with a lot of other people on the left, have been interested in, which is why I wanted to have someone from the gym on, because I think there's a lot we can learn from Haymaker. But before we start, I have to thank Brad, the Wing Chun instructor at Haymaker, for setting this up. And I can't leave out his son, Reed, the 10,000 fists of divine solidarity, for his excellent job as assistant. Hi, Yasmin. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good. So we got a lot to cover, so let's just get right to it. Let's first start by explaining what is Haymaker. Yeah, so Haymaker is a uh, community martial arts and self-defense gym um, based in Chicago. Uh, And we teach a variety of different classes. All of our instructors are volunteers. Um, We have Muay Thai, we have Wing Chun. Um, we have uh, kickboxing and capoeira, as well as the class that I help uh, instruct, which is uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu-based um, self-defense for uh, women and LGBTQ people. What is the origin story behind Haymaker? Like, how did it start and why did it start? So, to be honest, I wasn't really around when Haymaker started, um, but I, I'm... I know it started sort of after the election of uh, Trump, and uh, we originally had our own space that we were renting, um, and it was sort of a, a, you know, like a a project in response to um, spikes in violence uh, against uh, marginalized people, people of color, queer people, um, and as well as... uh, you know, folks on the political left um, and things like that. So Haymaker seems to be uh, a decentralized and flat organization. So it doesn't seem so important who was the founder or who were the founders. 
which allows itself to keep running autonomously with new people picking up the slack and uh, keep it evolving over time. Now, this is very different from martial arts in general, which has a piety to the past. Have you found some people have a problem adjusting to this uh, type of democratic martial system? Like speaking for myself, uh, you know, coming from a more traditional uh, martial arts training or um, if you've been in a very hierarchical gym, it feels uh, like almost sacrilegious if you're like teaching something and you're not a black belt. Um, But, you know, that's something that I've personally come to unlearn because – Particularly if you're teaching beginners and particularly if you're teaching people who maybe have some interest in sport, but um, whose interest doesn't really align with uh, maybe most of the folks at um, a traditional martial arts gym, then, you know, the kind of teacher you need or the kind of instructor you need is also different. Are there any pre-existing gyms or organizations, Haymaker models itself after or draws inspiration from? Uh, With regard to like the founding or or origin, um, I'm not sure the answer to that question. I can tell you that, um, you know, currently, um, and at least for, uh, you know, my involvement, I can say that I'm definitely always watching what other gyms are doing, like, um, particularly like pop gym or uh, four elements fitness um and you know on my uh, instagram and facebook and things i'm uh, always trying to like kind of uh follow or um watch kind of other similar projects around the country um and i'll also say that uh i actually am from a i'm not from chicago i'm from a, a small midwestern town, maybe like small, small city, um, in which a friend bought some mats and put them in her basement, um, and just started teaching classes out of her basement. Um, you know, had the, had the, uh, they were, they were marketed as queer self-defense classes. Um, she had them up on Facebook, uh, just kind of with the address DM for address type of situation. Um, and started teaching out of her basement. Um, and that's actually how I even got involved in martial arts in the first place. Um, so I think, uh, that was maybe a little more underground. I mean, literally underground, (laughs) um, than, uh, the project that Haymaker is doing, um, or rather the Haymaker project, but I, I take inspiration from it because it was where I got my start and I, um, appreciate especially a lot of the ways that she made the she made martial arts accessible for people so then how did you first get involved with the gym with haymaker um so i moved to chicago um for a job um and i was just looking for somewhere to train um and previous to moving to chicago i'd uh, mainly trained in my friend's basement and at a community college um so my Brazilian jiu-jitsu training was uh, also pretty informal, although I would say the community college was um, the most formal I'd had, uh, most formal training that I'd had before moving to Chicago. Um, How did you first hear about Haymaker? Oh, um, so I think my friend who was doing the classes in the basement mentioned it to me. 
Um, so it was clear she had her ear to the ground on these kinds of things. Um, and then uh, upon moving, uh, you know, I had never trained in a um, formal gym or like a traditional gym. <clears throat> and I wasn't really like keen to start um, because I'd been kind of blessed to have this like uh, training environment that was not necessarily so um, male dominated and um, coming from, I guess, like a more leftist perspective or more community perspective, at least. That is the thing, right? Amongst the left, where if you're moving to a new place, you don't want to just go on Yelp and check out gyms. You kind of ask people, you know, what are the safe places to train? I think whether they're fully leftist or they're just LGBTQ or feel marginalized, I think is very important. Then I see that happening a lot where they feel like uh, I need some vetting beforehand. <laughs> what do you all know? What are safe places to train? Yeah, especially I think in and, you know, since since this time I have started training um, at more uh, traditional gyms and, um, you know, pretty much every gym I have gone to, except for the one that I currently train at, um, has cops training or teaching. Um, and that was something that I wanted to avoid. Now, how did you end up becoming a trainer? Yeah. So um, I was going to the BJJ classes um, and the instructor for that class uh, kind of had a lot going on in their life um, and asked me to substitute for them basically <clears throat> for a couple classes, um, knowing that I had some uh, outside training. Um, and, you know, I figured, okay, well, I could, I could substitute for a couple classes um, while they're dealing with some things. And then they, uh, ended up just asking me if I wanted to take it over. And, uh, I said, yes, because there were people coming, um, and people who wanted the instruction and, um, also people who were open-minded and willing to work, uh, together. So I, I really think of it as like, kind of a skill share more than like a uh a skill yeah I guess I would say I think of myself more as somebody who is like facilitating a skill share than I am somebody who is like teaching a class of students um and I mean that doesn't mean there aren't specific roles like uh me and my co-instructor still refer to each other as the instructors it does I mean we do have a certain role in that skill share but um you know, it's, I think that kind of reframing um, is helpful to understanding how at least that class functions at Haymaker. And you said um, that you weren't there from the very beginning. So from even when you started, has the gym changed? Um, yeah, it's changed a lot. When I first started going, um, we were in one location we had some issues with the landlord, ended up moving to another location, uh, <laughs> had some issues with the landlord, <laughs> um, and then ended up renting space from this uh, Unitarian church um, at a discounted rate. And um, even, you know, locations aside, um, it's also been different uh, in terms of what classes have been um, added. And, you know, we... Uh, 
only in this most recent location did we um, <clears throat> start offering a, a Muay Thai class. So, um, yeah, things have been uh, evolving and changing um, throughout uh, even my time with Haymaker. Okay. What about Haymaker as far as its culture or its kind of premise or its curriculum or or its um, philosophy? Has that changed since you've been there? Um, I think so. I think, um, you know, one thing that I actually personally pushed for is that, um, you know, we had a, kind of an understanding that, um, you know, we were an anti-police community. Um, and then uh, we had an incident in which uh, a instructor, um, we showed up to the gym and um, saw a bullet hole through our glass um, and then uh, called the police to uh, make a report for the insurance. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of people weren't okay with that. Um, and said, you know, we, we will fix it ourselves. We don't need to, we don't need to call police for this kind of a thing and bring them into this neighborhood. That's, um, so then, you know, that sparked kind of a discussion of like actually trying to make our beliefs a little more, uh, I guess, formalized or trying to, you know, the things that we agreed upon as a community didn't need to be like uh, unspoken um, because that's where room for confusion comes in. Um, for example, this uh, instructor who had, you know, just kind of started uh, recently started um, instructing. Um, yeah. So I think that's been a thing. I mean, I think the project started uh, kind of like, I guess when the project started, there was like a little bit of that, Antifa hype around it, uh, particularly like around, um, you know, it's we're on Fox News and that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but I think making those making like certain beliefs more solid and kind of having expectations from people who are facilitating classes. So um, one thing, another thing is that I'm, I'm sure some of the classes were doing this before, but it, it's become more solidified and um an expectation is to for the uh person who's facilitating the class to um to ask the members of the class to uh give their pronouns if they wish um so in making these like little changes to to just kind of uh move the culture uh forward in um various ways so with that instructor, or maybe there were even uh, students who were confused about, you know, the our window got messed up. Uh, why can't we call the cops? Um, you know, it, it, that was really more of an internal thing. Um, I don't think anyone attending the classes uh, that wasn't. Oh, they weren't aware of it. I mean, I wouldn't say they weren't aware of it because, you know, there's a bullet hole in the glass. <laughs> um, but uh, there's also it's. It's there's not really like a stark separation between people who attend and people who instruct, um, and that as uh, organizers of the um, like at our last meeting, um, and I think almost every meeting we've had where we're, we're not meeting to train, we're meeting to talk about Haymaker. Um, it's been open to everyone. Um, you know, we have um, 
make sure to like we tell everybody in the classes like hey we're having a meeting on sunday please feel free to come there will be food we'd love to hear your thoughts you know um and kind of make sure that um if someone is a, um coming to class regularly they're just as much um a part of the project as me um in my opinion i mean and in the same way that we have people taking care of sometimes if if uh you know someone who's not instructing will get to class early to make sure that the mats get set up in time um and somebody else will realize that we're out of um cleaning fluid and uh go grab some and bring it to the next class and it's not um you know whereas in a traditional gym that's like a a responsibility that lies on the business owners. Um, but as a kind of more collective gym, I don't feel a really stark separation between, um, I don't know, someone who's quote unquote, like running the project and someone who's benefiting from it. I think it's, it's kind of a little more fluid and, um, overlapping. Now, what I was getting at before is because amongst the left, it just makes sense when you say no cops, right? It's just understood, but it's one of those things where maybe some people always took it as just like, that's a thing, but they might not know why that's a thing. There might be some listeners who don't understand why, maybe just the same as that instructor. So why has that become such a thing, not just for your gym, but for a lot of people on the left? Why are they like, I don't want to train with police officers or um, maybe even some active military? Yeah. And that's also a part of our um I guess ethos and something I personally pushed for to include was that uh, I think, you know, as long as we're uh, not training with and not calling the cops, we should feel the same way as active duty military or as, um, you know, ICE officers or any, any other kind of agent of state violence. Um, So especially for me as uh, an Arab American, I think it's important um, who's coming from Middle Eastern refugees, like, it's important for me personally that uh, if these if folks are going to be are going to consider themselves my comrades, uh, that's something I uh, expect. Um, so, yeah, I think to your question, the reason that people aren't interested in training with police um, first. First off, outside of a, a, a leftist political lens, a communist anarchist, however people define themselves, um, there are folks in our classes who are maybe not, don't consider themselves a communist or an anarchist or uh, someone who's uh, against the state, but has trauma from interactions with police. Um, and to me, those are people that uh, we should be centering and uh, whose needs we should be prioritizing. Um, if you are okay with training with police or active duty military or any of um, the groups I mentioned, you can go to pretty much any gym in the city yeah. <laughs> um, and you'll be fine. You'll get probably some good quality training. That is not hard to find. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, whereas if you're somebody who... Uh, gets you know gets a pit in your stomach every time you see a cop that's different um you're not going to be able to find that and i think that's that's part of the reason that haymaker uh 
has these uh, standards. Um, you know, we also don't want to be bringing the cops in to neighborhoods. Like, for example, the glass incident. Um, at that time, we were in a majority Latinx neighborhood. And uh, if we're calling the cops for uh, to make a report about something, um, we're also then bringing state violence into the neighborhood um, because that's those cops aren't people who would just, oh, okay, I'm going to make a report and go back to the station. They're going to harass people on their way and harass people on their way out. If we don't end up getting a report and the insurance doesn't take care of it, then, oh, well, we'll, we'll fix it. Um, it's not worth uh, the risk of endangering people. So there's consequences to your actions is ultimately the point. Yes, exactly. And to put things into more, let's say, less political and more human terms, ultimately, it's about what people feel comfortable with, whatever the political spectrum is, right? They might just not feel comfortable around police officers, agents of the state, because they have trauma from them. And that's the reason why they came to uh, Haymaker is to get away from those other training situations where they didn't feel comfortable. So I think for a lot of listeners, what they have to understand is, if you're white and privileged, I guess cops mean something to you. But for a lot of other types of people, especially marginalized people, they don't have the same meaning and they don't make you feel the same level of comfort. In fact, they make you feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And why I say apolitical, because you might not even have any political uh, feelings. You might be just LGBTQ. You might have a certain type of job where you've been harassed by the police. And because of that, you don't feel comfortable. So. That's the point that I just wanted to clarify on here where people just like, oh, they just don't like cops. I don't know why. But there's a reason. There's like a long history. And also there's the from uh, the violence against uh, minorities and um, the police shootings in the past. There's so much more to it. The thing about it is, uh, especially people on the left, they assume everybody knows all those things. So they just gloss over it. And one of the things I like to do on the podcast is to define terms. It's like, let's not assume anything. Let's not gloss over things because we're so good about not assuming for a lot of other things. But as when it comes to theory or uh, political things, we assume everybody knows. Yeah, let's not assume that either. Yeah. And I also think you made a good point about kind of um, for a lot of white people on the left, um, understanding that for some people, um, I don't want to say it's not political because it, it is, but- um, It is, it is. But I, I want to say that for some people- uh, it's not a matter of, uh, I, I believe this is unethical and that's why I won't put up with it. It's, it's a matter of, um, no, like I have a physical bodily response and like, this is, this is actually affecting my ability to train, um, and my ability to like have this safety, um, particularly for black Americans, particularly for sex workers, particularly for anyone, um, who's been harassed by the police. Um, as a matter of, uh, you know, day-to-day -day life. I think it's important for leftists to, like, recognize that it's not necessarily about training with people who uh, have the same exact, like, um, spoken or articulated beliefs as you, and it's more about uh, expressing a solidarity to people who are harmed by the things that you know are um, unethical or things that you hate. You know? <laughs> no, that's a good point. So even if you've never had the trauma, it's about 
showing your support and solidarity for people um, who have been. Exactly. And also what I was saying earlier about it's all political, but even if they don't have a political awakening, they don't think about politics, they can still have this trauma. Yeah. And of course, people who are against state violence because of their political or moral beliefs are often the same people who are against state violence because we're victims of it. But to me, the important thing is just to like take into account that there are a variety of experiences in the same room. Going back to Haymaker, are the classes free? Yeah, all classes are free. Um, we do accept donations. They're not uh, required, especially now that we are um, using space in a church uh, and don't have like a, at least a higher rent to pay every month. Um, but we also have uh, Patreon subscribers who make that possible. Um, being able to have that base of Patreon subscribers has been really helpful because people who come to the class can come to one or two classes and maybe throw a few dollars, um, but not feel like, um, not feel a sort of pressure unnecessarily. Um, and it also, I think, then opens up okay, well, it's free. Let me just try this class. Um, and then that's how I think a lot of people become invested. But there are, of course, some challenges to being a, a free or donation-based project. Um, because, you know, in looking at trying to add a couple more classes, we're realizing that would increase costs in certain ways. Um, and, you know, that's something that we have to be like, okay, I guess we have to start uh, asking for donations a little bit more um, if we want to be able to add this class. For people who might not understand why adding a class equals uh, you know more financial struggles is because that means you require more time from the space. So you have to rent out the space for longer, which costs more money. So that's the financial constraints of adding another class, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and then also, depending on the class, maybe there's like equipment we might need. I know, uh, you know, um, our, our equipment's getting pretty old, that kind of a thing. Um, so just wanting to also be able to offer the community um, a variety of uh, classes they can take um, and, you know, uh, gear to keep them safe while training it. So because your classes are all taught by volunteer teachers, is what Haymaker offers all based around like the background and the expertise of the trainers. It's like, who knows this? Who knows that? That's what we're going to offer. Or was it the other way where like, we want to offer these types of classes. Let's try to find somebody who knows that style. Um, it's definitely more of the first. Uh, it's people who get involved who might have a, a background of some kind um, and then offer to uh, instruct. Um, you know, I just went to a, a queer open mat um, in a Brazilian, or sorry, uh, open mat is Brazilian jiu-jitsu speak for open gym, basically, like where you, people go and spar or roll. Um, met a bunch of people there and told a couple of them about Haymaker and uh, had some like, you know, had a brown belt um, offer to uh, come teach a class. Um, so being able to make those connections where people sort of are like, oh, that's a cool project. I'd I would love to volunteer to do that um, has been really helpful. I know, you know, in some ways uh, there is a little bit of the latter in which like people have expressed like, Oh, I'd really 
be interested in learning some Kali. And so then I went to my friend who teaches Kali and mentioned that there's interest and, you know, said, you know, no pressure, but if you ever <laughs> want to do like even like a one-time class, there's interest. Um, so y'all try to do what you can when the the student base wants something. It's not that you could promise it, but mm -hmm. y'all try. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's say someone's first time. Can you run us through what happens from the moment they walk in to the end? Like, give us a feel for the structure of a typical class. Sure. So I'll I'll just say by giving a disclaimer that I can I can most speak to my own class. I've uh, attended to. I've attended other classes at Haymaker, um, but n not regularly, you know, kind of on one-offs. Um, we actually often joke uh, when we have our meetings that this is the first time we actually get to see each other in a while <laughs> because we're all in the space at different times. Um, so I'd say, uh, so in, in the class I help instruct, when you walk in, usually um, if you're there's a, a few minutes maybe before or after four o'clock that uh, people are just kind of mingling and waiting for class to start. Once class starts, um, we usually kind of all circle up um, and I'll give my little pitch about Haymaker. It usually goes something like this. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Haymaker. Um, this is an anti-fascist, anti-oppression, anti-sexist, um, anti-racist space. What that looks like is that we try to respect our training partners um, by uh, giving them as much autonomy as we can. That means communicating with people when we're doing drills. You can feel free to communicate, hey, could you increase the resistance a little bit or could you loosen up your grip on my wrist there? Um, please feel free to communicate back and forth and uh, respect your partner's wishes. Other things that looks like is not sexualizing our training partners in the space, um, not using bigoted language in the space, as well as understanding that we uh, do not condone the tr use of training of martial arts for any state violence. Um, every every drill is opt-in, so if you're not interested in drilling something, feel free to step off the mats and just watch, or you can go hang out downstairs. If anyone asks you what, if you want to drill, you can just tell them, nope, I'm going to sit this one out. Uh, you don't need any permission to take breaks for water or go to the bathroom. Um, you're free to do as you please. Um, and then I usually kind of run through, like, all right, we're going to spend the first half hour doing this, the next hour doing that, and then the last whatever. Um, so that's that's usually the spiel I give. Um, I know from class to class, the spiel is like a little different. Um, I do know like every class goes around and does introductions with uh, names and pronouns. People and people who regularly attend the class I facilitate also attend other classes um, at the gym and say that, you know, the spiel is, uh, you know, a bit different based on the instructor have different ways of um, different kind of consent systems. I know like one uh, one class uses like a, a red, yellow, green for um, during drilling. Um, yeah. So uh, whereas I kind of just uh, give people examples on how they could uh, potentially express their their uh, needs and boundaries. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's kind of the introduction. And then, um, you know, we'll do a, a warm up, uh, get into drilling. Um, techniques, which uh, has some, and at least 
in the class, I facilitate some instruction and then some active drilling. Um, and then uh, there's sparring at the end of class. Um, and that's, I think, usually the format, at least for the other classes I've been to, is that we we do all try to include some sparring element at the end of class. Um, whether it's light or heavy probably depends on the experience levels of the folks sparring. I know I, when people ask me who have been to a couple classes, like, oh, okay, I want to roll, um, you know, I just try to put them with somebody with more experience, um, that kind of a thing. Yeah. At the end of class, and I know different classes do it differently. I know um, one of the classes actually does some political discussion at the end of class. Um, and and, uh, and the one I facilitate, we uh, do a, we use a prompt called I like I wish, I wonder. Um, and you don't have to stick to that prompt, but it helps um, people feel like they can, uh, particularly with the I wish, uh, to feel like they can give critique um, without um, it being a big deal, you know. The other thing that helps is that there's no crosstalk. So once one person gives their um, reflections on the class, uh, no one else in the circle should really respond to it. Um, so that way that they don't feel like they need to necessarily engage a debate or a conversation about something um, they can, uh, you know, give their critique freely. Um, and like I said, people don't have to follow that prompt, but it's helpful. Um, and I really appreciate having a few minutes for reflections um, because it, I think it really helps uh, me and the co-instructor understand where people are at and understand, okay, was the pacing too fast? Did people need, you know, people need more guidance on this thing, that sort of a thing to help us um, improve. Now, does each class have its own curriculum or is it based on whatever the teacher wants to teach that day? Um, it, it's really class to class. Um, so for a while, uh, the way I was leading the class was uh, more free form. I would often uh, have sort of some sort of idea of what I wanted to teach um, until and I would see who showed up to the class and maybe I would be like, oh, there's a lot of newcomers here today. So I'm actually not going to do what I thought I was going to do. And I'm instead going to do something else because I think it would be more accessible. Um, I know, you know, I, I know that on the uh, on the flip side, I know like uh, the Muay Thai instructor always has like a, a Google Doc like ready with all the, <laughs> you know, curriculum that he's planning for the next two months. Nerd. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it, it's just kind of uh, dependent on the person's personality and what works for them and um, what works for their class. I am actually very happy to have uh, my co-instructor um, who's uh, actually got a little more BJJ experience than I do. I, I personally have uh, more boxing experience actually, um, but they've really helped to introduce a little more structure. We're now doing like position of the month where um, we'll do you know, one this month it's like uh, the position is mount. So we spent the first class um, reviewing like maintaining good mount and general good principles for when you're in bottom mount, you know, try not to be flat on your back, keep your elbows tucked, that kind of a thing, um, as well as escapes. And then um, today uh, we're going to do submissions and submission defenses. Um, at some point we'll do like the next class probably transitioning to other um positions um and then uh 
you know, last month the position was side control. So um, this kind of way of uh, organizing it, I've really liked because it gives it some structure while also being flexible um, within the confines of sticking around this one position. Uh, it also keeps each class a class you can drop into, um, which is something I uh, think is important because we do have a lot of people um, like drop in to a class and then not come the next week, but then they come the week after um, until they sort of uh, manage to like fix their schedule that they can come weekly. Um, and I think with the position of the month, you can kind of drop in and learn the escapes and then maybe you don't come back, you skip next week, you come the next week, and then we're doing transitions. It's still relevant to you and it's still, um, you're still not totally lost when you come in. Um, so uh, yeah, I would say that the curriculum probably varies instructor to instructor. There's definitely people who are uh, you know, very organized and people who are more fluid um, and it just kind of, it depends on the class. Now, with your BJJ class, is it a gi class or no gi? Because I know the gi itself can sometimes be cost prohibitive. It's no gi. Um, it's always been no gi. I've actually only ever trained no gi personally. Um, and there is also a, a standing portion, um, which uh, is not very common in um, uh, traditional Brazilian jiu jitsu gyms. Um, and the standing portion uh, is usually at the beginning. It almost always uh, includes grip breaks. I go through a bunch of different grip breaks, and we play a game called Sticky Hands, where um, you know there's a, a maybe a timer running. One person's gripping, one person's escaping, and that's all you're doing. Um, and then, as well as various, um, you know, maybe we'll do like a, a standing arm bar or like a. Um, a defense to like a rear naked choke from standing or something like that, as well as sometimes I'll, I'll throw in some um, concepts that are probably not very, uh, probably borrowed from other martial arts, um, particularly for the standing portion. Um, so I wonder now, as I'm talking about this, uh, if there are like um, some hardcore Brazilian jujitsu uh, students out there who are enraged at, uh, this class or not, <laughs> um, but but you know it, it's flexible and it borrows from other traditions and it's um, we're not marketing as a, a a BJJ gym where you're gonna get promoted to a certain belt like it's it's a Skillshare where we're like using these concepts which I think are really great concepts to train in a lot of different ways. So. Well, what you're speaking to actually goes all the way back to Brazil. So I think a lot of people who learned here in the U.S. aren't even uh, aware of the history. Um, and as time has gone by, because I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu like decades ago. So you used to hear it more then because it was still arriving. But now it's become, I don't know, ju just become the norm and nobody knows how the key thing started. But there was an old rivalry that goes back to Brazil with BJJ and Luta Livre. 
and that it's not by accident that Lula, there's the, the saying is Lula Livre. It's also a play on words on that. But uh, one of the reasons why BJJ was so insistent on having a gi was because it was cost prohibitive and they didn't want certain types of people and certain classes of people to take the classes. So, um, yeah, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, especially with the Gracies, if you go back, has a lot of fascist history to it. Now, the art itself is great. Somebody else uh, said in, a, uh, in the message board that we're both in that, you know, sometimes to learn the best techniques, we just have to learn it from whoever, you know, maybe not in person, but through video or whatever, because there's a lot of effectiveness that works, but we take it and then we have to make it our own. And then sometimes we might have to use it against the fascists that taught it to us. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a weird thing. A lot of people who do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are, are conflicted about, but I do find that a lot of leftists are training no-gi uh, for a lot of class reasons. Even if they don't know the history, they end up there just because it's so expensive to buy geese. Yeah, it's expensive to buy geese. And also, um, it, I think that translates in terms of Brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms um, are very expensive. And most of the classes they offer are gi classes. Um, it, it kind of like because the the art requires a gi and then that, that kind of like... Um, class element trans translates to other aspects of the art as well so i definitely get what you're saying there i was going to say there's also a side hustle with a lot of these schools where they rent you the geese but you have to pay for it per day <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's and you know when i started in my friend's basement we were doing nogi um and it's it's why i've uh pretty much always trained no gi i mean at this point at this point i actually own a gi um <laughs> and i've never used it like uh and you know i i don't mean to say like there's nothing i uh i don't mean to say there's nothing valuable of training in a gi I'd, I'd, um at this point it's just about i've gotten comfortable in no gi so it feels weird to put it on um much to the uh, chagrin of uh, friends who train um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and gi, uh, they often get sort of frustrated with me that I'm so resistant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, tell them about the, the whole history of the gi, no gi, you know, yeah. and maybe they'll be more sympathetic. But if you do have a gi, it's good to have because, especially if you got it gifted, because they do last for a long time. They're really sturdy, so they do last longer uh, than rash guards or shorts. So there's that good aspect of it if you end up getting one. Oh, I had a friend tr start to try to get grips on my rash guard. I was like, excuse me, you're going to tear this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, even with the instructors, uh, there's a lot of autonomy where um, – Y'all have uh, agreed upon ethos about the ground rules. But you, you can say it in your own script, but there's ground rules about how a class should be structured, what goes into the classes, and how you all deliver it and teach a curriculum is all based on uh, the autonomy of each individual trainer, it sounds like. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. Now, how do most of the attendees hear about Haymaker? Is it through referral mostly? Yeah, it's the referral or um like I think our social media um and you know I am actually I feel like often um I'll see uh people 
on uh in various facebook groups like looking or or just friends on facebook or um instagram or twitter or whatever looking for uh usually they say mma or kickboxing or something like that and then um i can kind of uh go through and be like uh well you should come to haymaker but uh (laughs) also here are some other options in case you're not interested for whatever reason um so i would say yeah a lot of word of mouth um we we i wouldn't say we don't do a ton of promotion um we don't really have the capacity for it right now um just with kind of everyone being uh a volunteer um but uh, word of mouth has gotten us uh, pretty far um, as well as social media. Yeah. We're really talking about budget here. So there's no marketing budget. Right. Now for your class, do you have a lot of regulars or is it a lot of first timers? Um, it's, just, it's both. Um, we have definitely, I'd say probably like uh, five, you know, like maybe like five regulars. Um, and then there's sort of folks who kind of... Um, maybe maybe don't come every week but uh are like a familiar face um and then we we do get new people um so people will often come to my class um not out of uh, any particular interest in brazilian jiu-jitsu or brazilian jiu-jitsu based techniques but more just because it's the class that is um only open to women and lgbtq people um and then because of that you know, maybe they'll start to get comfortable with the idea of training martial arts. Um, and then they'll start going to the other classes. One goal of having that class is to be able to give a space for people to get comfortable with this very physical art, um, and comfortable enough to the point where they have the confidence to go to, um, more mixed classes, um, and learn different kinds of martial arts. Now, you mentioned about some of the political leanings of the gym earlier about uh, some people are anarchists or leftists. So is the gym only for anarchists and leftists or is open to a wider political spectrum so long as uh, they're not cops or active military and, you know, they just want this training? Yeah, I mean, uh, anyone can attend the class um, as long as they're uh, comfortable with and respect our um, ground rules of, um, you know, being condemning the use of training for state violence and, um, not sexualizing your partners in the space and, uh, not using, um, bigoted language and things like that. Um, and I think those, those for me are what, so when does somebody have to describe themselves a certain way or does somebody have to, um, have a certain belief no, but they do have to respect that we do, and that um, in or, like in training in our space, those there are like values that we uphold. As long as people uphold those values, also, I've often thought about this project as kind of um, direct service in some ways, um, in that we're providing certain skills to folks who need it, or um, outside of like a self-defense context also just like training martial arts is mentally and emotionally and physically rewarding um and it that it definitely has been for me um and that's something that i want to share with people who want it now you mentioned this earlier um we didn't get a chance to speak about this but 
Haymaker is currently at a church of all places, not a place where you would think an LGBTQX, uh, you know, friendly, uh, friendly to uh, open and inclusive to Muslims, Jews, and other marginalized people would be meeting at a church. Um, so for better or worse, uh, churches in the United States are a site of um, community gatherings and a site of resources um, and a site of um, service for people. Um, free meals and coat drives and things like that often happen out of churches um, because they kind of uh, either have a brick and mortar space that they acquired a long time ago using, uh, you know, funds that um, Christians have, um, or because of whatever reason, they just happen to have this, like, uh, a little more, like, power in this country. Um, but also some churches, um, particularly this one, it's a Unitarian church. Um, actually, the founder of Black and Pink is currently the minister of this church. Um and ho this church also hosts um, uh, Jewish folks. This ho it hosts agnostic and atheist folks having different meetings there. What is Black and Pink? Oh yeah, uh, Black and Pink is a um, organization that uh, primarily kind of facilitates uh, pen pal um, pen pals um, with uh, queer people um, in the free world and. Uh, queer people in uh the prison system um i actually have a pen pal through black and pink um and they're national i think national probably not international um and uh they have a pretty strong chapter here in chicago um that also meets at second unitarian church so uh so when we we're looking for new spaces and we we're looking at kind of churches and rec centers and community centers, I even had a friend recommend like the Korean American Community Center to me. Um, you know, we we're looking at all kinds of places as a potential host um, and kind of settled on this place uh, because they emailed us back. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and because it's a, uh, they already have a, a history and um, the the way their programming works is already uh, clearly diverse and open. Um, and for me, that was very important. And I also think that, uh, like, as a queer person, um, when I see a Unitarian church, I kind of also already know that it's probably going to be fine. You know? <laughs> um, and I think... Uh, yeah, I think that's um, an important thing, too, in just signaling to uh, potential attendees that, like, hey, yes, we're at a church. We're at this church that if you, uh, like, live in the area at all, you might know that it is, um, you know, already hosting all these kind of uh, leftist or uh, diverse projects and isn't necessarily um, is functioning uh, you know, they do have church services on Sundays, of course, but um, is functioning as a, a, a community center in a lot of ways. Now, with the schedule and the classes that Haymaker offers, I noticed there's no actual 
self-defense class uh it's a lot of the traditional or sportive martial art forms so it's it, it the schedule doesn't look that much different from a typical mma or bjj slash kickboxing gym any reason for that um i think that's because uh, the people who uh, volunteer are coming from a certain art um and have a certain training um you know like i would love to add a boxing class one day um but uh I would also say that the way we train these martial arts are um, maybe with self-defense in mind, even though even if it's not explicitly marketed, explicitly marketed as a self-defense class. Um, So, I mean, I think I think I do use the word self-defense, at least in the like description uh, for the BJJ class, if not the title. But uh you know, if you go to a one-off self-defense seminar, uh, what is the usefulness in it? Um, you know, and I'm not saying I'm questioning it. I'm saying that there's debate around it. Um, and maybe in terms of like, you know, I think also in the martial arts community, you get a lot of people who are like, well, really, like, this is useless for self-defense because how are you going to what if somebody does this or like actually my martial art is better because of a b and c um and the way i've always kind of felt about that is i bet the martial art that you train the most is the best for (laughs) self-defense that makes sense because it's the one that you uh are most comfortable with and is most uh built into your muscle memory yeah (laughs) That makes the most sense. Yeah. And then also, I think that these kinds of debates tend to really uh, gloss over the fact that self-defense looks really different depending on who you are and what your risk factors are. Um, Because martial arts is such a male-dominated community, uh, people are often talking about street fighting when they're talking about (laughs) self-defense, which is just kind of rare. Uh, and I mean, unless you're running around picking fights, but, uh, generally kind of rare and, um, maybe not the case for like a lot of women. Uh, so, uh, it really depends on your risk factors. Like if saying, let's say if you're a sex worker, um, a full service sex worker, then, uh, the type of martial arts you want to train, uh, might be different. And then someone who is, necessarily like uh getting into i don't know pub fights or something like that um and you know that's up to you to kind of look at the different arts and see what you think is most useful for self-defense for you um an example i really like to use is that i think a lot of self-defense instructors get on this like okay so if you feel like you're in any danger uh you just uh, punch him right in the nose um and uh it really glosses over that for a lot of people violence is coming from people you know or even coming from people you love um and or or there's um some social repercussion to uh defending yourself and uh that's something that's really important so if you give somebody you know your only options are to do nothing or to punch somebody in the face and it's your boss who is doing something to you that you're not okay with um 
like maybe grabbing your wrist or something like you're probably going to do nothing rather than punch your boss in the face um, because then you'll get fired. And it's not about, uh, you know, it's, it's about these like power systems that are actually uh, much bigger than a physical uh, overpowering um, of any kind. So um, that's why I like to focus a lot on like grip breaks and things and, and managing distance because uh, if your boss grabs your wrist and starts to threaten you in some way and you don't feel like you can just punch him in the face because then you're worried you're going to get fired or it's just not your immediate reaction for whatever reason, but you do feel like you can escape the grip and back up, then you have an option. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't punch your boss in the face, but I'm saying that you have to give people these like kind of range of options so that they can decide what they feel comfortable using at any given moment. Um, so I think that's important. Um, and to to relate back to your original question, um, maybe that's why some of our uh, classes don't necessarily market as self-defense, um, but do teach self-defense. It's uh, it's about giving uh, people the like autonomy and uh, choice and um, you know ability to make their own decisions about how what they would use how rather than prescribing uh, a specific. Um, scenario for them or prescribing like a certain uh way a certain way to proceed um and i think a lot of a lot of self-defense classes um sort of want to tell you what to do um or tell you what you should do um uh maybe if you if you didn't do it like that then uh there's maybe an implicit blame on you because you didn't react in the way that you were taught or that you should have reacted um Whereas uh, maybe in martial arts, it's more about learning kind of a holistic skill set where uh, you kind of set your own strategy or reaction um, in a, you know, as you would in sparring. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's speculation. Um, what I'm saying, I'm mostly just speculating <laughs> about differences here, but uh, I will say that I've I've been to a lot of self-defense classes and I actually do continue to go to self-defense classes, even as somebody who's teaching one and uh, training martial arts, because I'm there less for the technique and more to kind of um, I'm interested in people's like pedagogy, I guess. So it sounds like uh, even though it might have happened incidentally, there is an overarching theme, which is of autonomy. So to create a generic self-defense class, it removes a lot of uh, the autonomy of the individual to make decisions based on the context or the situation. And you're prescribing what you should do in every situation. Because when you take all these different martial arts and then you try to pick out which techniques are most effective for a self-defense class, then you're consolidating, then you start removing a lot of options. Then you are, I guess, in a way, by default, uh, reigning in people's choices, which I, I, I could see that making sense if you're going to see somebody once or twice, like a one-off. But for people who are going to come more often than that, maybe they're a little bit more committed or they're more regular than that, then it really restricts the amount of choices that they have. Yeah, it restricts the amount of choices. And it also, uh, you're also assuming a lot. Yes. Um, in terms of assuming, uh, you know, what their risk factors are. Um, and I think that's where things get um 
for example, if like a white person is teaching a self-defense class, uh, they may not realize that actually a lot of people of color and a lot of black Americans, especially like are going to have different consequences for reacting in certain ways. And they're going to be teaching you that like, um, yeah, you should inflect all this harm on this person. Um, whereas, you know, maybe something, uh, I might like, it's just an example. Of course you can debate it, but like, um, maybe if, if you're worried about the risk of arrest, try to use open palms and make sure to keep your hands like open and up to kind of uh, show to like kind of use your body language to signal to passerbys and to anyone watching that you're actually um, being attacked and you're not instigating violence. Um, but if you're if you're not somebody who's at risk of arrest in the same way, that might not be something you think about. So when you're teaching a self-defense class, you might not think to you might not think to teach that. Um, so I think when you uh, when you um, when you're pulling certain techniques and deciding what's most useful, you also have to think about why are you deciding that that's most useful? What in your experience is making you think that that's the most useful thing? Is it because it's most useful for you, or is it like you know, what other factors in people's lives makes um, a certain technique useful or not useful. So it sounds like self-defense uh, as just a class in itself or as a, as a program is actually a very big undertaking. So it's very easy then to have your biases come through no matter um, how thoughtful you're trying to be. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think like when you're teaching a sport, um, you can teach for the sport and uh, potentially let the person um, take what they want out of it. Um, it's understood that it's not for all use cases. You're coming here to learn kickboxing. That's what I'm going to teach you. It's up to you as an individual to figure out how you use that in all the different contexts of your life. Yeah. And I something I've really enjoyed doing in this past couple of years in Chicago have been um, actually just like working with folks to... All right. So here's what I know. Like I know some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I know some boxing. And what do, what do you know? Maybe you don't know a ton of martial arts, but you know a lot about uh, scrimmage lines at protests. How can we like together figure out how we can help each other's understanding of both of those things? Um, and that's why I also like to think of it as a skill share, because people think like, OK, Yasmin has all the martial arts knowledge and I don't know anything, but that's not true. You know a lot that you can teach me so that I can figure out how to hone and different ways to think about the like techniques that I've learned. Um, and in that way, it's like I've, I've done that with um, I've had kind of like uh, in I wouldn't call it a workshop because kind of like uh people just like friends or uh organizations that i've well some of it actually has been workshops full-on workshops where like um you know maybe uh i've done things with sex worker outreach project or byp 100 or brave space alliance which are all like these um local chicago uh nonprofits or organizations um and tried to kind of like work with the folks to figure out what um 
what might be useful or what what are what are the things that they're worried about and how can what in my knowledge can I like use for that rather than kind of prescribing a certain uh method of action or whatever course of action yeah you don't want to speak for them yeah exactly now uh the far right have have been emboldened in the past several years has Haymaker gotten requests for training from activists and organizers, or uh, do you all have a lot of activists and organizers coming to your classes? Yeah, we do occasionally get those kinds of requests um, and do, I think, especially um, when we were starting, and I think a lot of the people involved in the project and um in the past and currently are activists and organizers um, who just happened to also train martial arts and wanted to see the intersection of these two things. Um, and we do uh, occasionally get those uh, requests from different groups or different uh, people who are interested in training. I would say uh, probably all of the trainers are activists and organizers. Um, yeah, all of us. Um, and also all involved in different things like uh we're not even um in the same uh activist or organizing groups or anything like that um and then you know i, d- I don't necessarily know uh a- everybody's background who attends the classes but i think that translates as well um in terms of who's kind of coming to the classes I find this very interesting in that in martial arts or even politics, there's this uh, kind of uniformity. We all have Mm -hmm. to think the same, um, especially martial arts. We are all wearing the same uniforms, right? Uh, We all bow the same way. We enter the the training hall the same way. And also in politics, we all want everybody to have the same like policy ideas. But with Haymaker, it sounds like there's a lot more autonomy whether you all meant to or not, there's just a lot of autonomy uh, throughout a lot of ways, even in the ways that y'all decide to organize or do your activism. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, different people are coming in with uh, sort of maybe different causes that they focus on or different ways that um, they try to uh, work for justice in the world. Um, but what we kind of have in common is that we want those things and we work on those things and we're also interested in martial arts and i think um for me like i like that sort of diversity or like maybe like big tent approach because um i think you know then we have all a lot to learn from each other and um i also think it will you know make our training better if we have like kind of diverse perspectives this is a theme that i've talked about a lot in maybe most of my episodes, but is that this importance of niche left spaces. So what I mean by niche, the big broad tent is all kinds of hobbies, but I find, especially with physical hobbies, that you could have all kinds of like diversity of, you know, progressive left ideas, but they don't all have to be the same. But the commonality that unifies everybody is this uh, attraction to a physical hobby, whether it's powerlifting or whether it's, uh, you know, yoga or -hmm. whether it's martial arts. It's the thing that also keeps people from fighting each other. I I make this joke, but it's like, if you just talk pure politics for too long, we're all going to be at each other's next but if we kind of talk about you know whatever our things maybe sports maybe it's baseball or whatever mm-hmm. then we all kind of come together it's like oh yeah 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 you know it's like kind of pursuing the humanities there's something other than politics yeah there's something that 
speaks to us in a, on a human level that attracts us all. And now from there, let's extend that love and passion and compassion to politics and the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any helpful words or advice for those listening who might want to start something similar to Haymaker wherever they live? Make sure you can pay the rent. <laughs> if not, don't rent somewhere. <laughs> no. Um, well, that's good advice because then maybe just do something more informal at first, maybe out of a park or somebody's backyard or something. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Start, I would say start informal. See, like try to get a community. And I think, you know, actually Haymaker did start a little more informal. I think it was in somebody's garage um, as or, or like a garage of a of another like uh project doing uh you know work on the left uh but was not uh martial arts related at all um so i'd say and if you can um yeah start informally start getting even if it's just like you and a few people practicing together and uh figuring out kind of um what a good like structure for classes is and like uh that sort of thing start informally and uh build your way up and if you think you can have a um you know if you whether that means you either build up to the success of like being able to rent your own space or renting space from uh some somewhere that's shared or whatever whatever you can do you can kind of um know that there's a lot of different ways to do it so maybe starting up a gym i mean even if you're not starting up a like a leftist gym starting up a gym is a huge project yeah. it's a you know you have to get a space you have to get instructors you have to get materials but uh chances are like you probably have some equipment between the you know, whatever five of you and you probably somebody probably has like some open space um so see what you can see what other people have um and work together to figure something out. And then once you've gotten like a good, um, once you've gotten a good, good understanding and you have some regularity and you feel comfortable, uh, open it up. And I mean, that's, that's like a, that's going to be a, an individual choice. Maybe you don't want to be open to the public. Maybe you do, um, think about those questions. Um, and also, you know, uh, uh, reach out to, uh, like, haymaker or pop gym or other other uh projects like this and if you're at the point where you're thinking of uh you know formalizing and um opening up in certain ways and then uh talk to other people around the country because it seems like there's a lot of people doing it um i mean even uh even my friend's classes in the basement are still going, you know? Wow. So, uh, and that was, I don't know, like four years ago or something. So, um, yeah, there, there's always people and, you know, finding them and uh, just having these conversations is a, a good way to get started. Some mutual aid action. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Now, where can people find more information about Haymaker? Um, so our Facebook is definitely most up to date, uh, for, um, you know, class schedules and, uh, address and stuff. Our website is a little bit under construction right now. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Um, our Facebook is, uh, Haymaker Gym, uh, and you'll see that the location's Chicago. That's where you can find the most information about us right now. 
All right. And also for people who might not even live nearby, but want to contribute to Haymaker financially, what should they do? You should look at our Patreon. Um, you can either uh, give a one-time donation or become a monthly subscriber. As I said earlier, um, those monthly subscribers are really important. They really help make the gym kind of accessible to folks who can't afford um, classes or uh, you know, maybe just don't feel like they have the the uh, money at the time uh, to donate. I know, like we've had, we have people who come who they spend their like the only money they can spend is the money to get on the train to come. Um, so having those monthly donators um, is really really helpful. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show and will help us expand with more content on more platforms. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod.